here at Redeemer. Some of y'all know me, some of y'all don't. I know there's a lot of new faces. Um, I've, we've been here roughly 14, 15 years. I've been an intern at this church most of that time, which means I'm kind of a pastor in training. And um, I'm a local businessman here. And I've been going to seminary since, on and off since 2004. So uh, I've still got five more classes to, before I get my master's degree. And, uh, and then, then I'll decide what I want to be when I grow up. Um, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, um, it comes from John 10, 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said it to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You may be seated. Well, um, I want to give you a little backstory, quite literally. Um, I was not here last week. Um, how many of y'all were here last week? Uh, raise your hand. Okay. So I was not. Um, and I think Daryl preached on John 9. Well, I missed it because on Saturday I threw my back out. And so I've been struggling for quite a while, probably as long as I've been an intern, um, with hip dysplasia. So it's my hip, the hip socket is, keeps coming out of my hip. And so as a result, it throws out the rest of my back. And so it came out, and uh, my sciatic nerve um, went crazy, and I couldn't bend over. And so um, I couldn't come to church last week. I was in... Uh, writhing in pain in my new Tempur-Pedic bed, um, laying there. And my wife, who's a nurse, says, you're going to have to have a cane. I'm like, no, I don't need a cane. She goes, I'm going to go ask Gary, or she didn't say Gary, but dad, which is Gary and Brenda, who just joined the church today. So they live with us. And so she came back, and she brought this back, um, a putter. So this was, uh, this was my cane for several days. And so I'm walking, bent over with this cane, helping, and so um, or trying to be helped. And so I was like, if I'm going to be an old, crotchety old man, I'm going to live up the part. So I started an intricate sound uh, language with my cane. So two, uh, two hard hits, quick hits, meant I was displeased with whatever was happening. Because I was also struggling... One backstory, I'm, I was struggling with uh, laryngitis, just getting over that. So I was speaking through my cane. And three hard, quick hits means I was very displeased. And then two slow hits meant I was very pleased. 
And then three slow hits meant I was very, very pleased with whatever it was. So someone, I asked one of the boys to bring me something to drink. You know, I might hit my cane. Or if someone was trying to help me get dressed and they weren't doing it right, I was hitting it pretty hard. And so anyway, I struggled with that uh, for several days. And I think I even went out on the back lawn and yelled at some kids that were on the lawn afterwards just to fill the part of the crotchety old man. Um, anyway, that was a bit of my backstory. So I didn't hear what, what Daryl preached on, on John 9. So I may preach something that he said is not true about John 9. But it's okay, Daryl, you're going to be preaching next week, so you can correct me then. So there we go. Are you not? Oh, well, Adam will clean up. So someone will clean up the mess I'm about to make. Anyway, you cannot understand John 10 unless you understand John 9. So let me just give you a recap for all those that weren't here. Um, Really, John 9 is Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and his disciples point out a blind man, right? And they say, well, who sent he or his his parents. And he, Jesus says, neither. He said, um, and then he goes on and says one of the I am statements. I am uh, the light of the world, which is interesting because you can't see light if you're blind. And so there's a lot of this back and forth, this tension in John 9. So he says, I am the light of the world. And then he goes on and he spits on the ground, which is a unique thing. He spits on the ground and picks it up and makes clay and puts that clay in the blind man's eyes and then says, go to the pool and wash that out. Now it's interesting because there was a movie that just came out, uh, this past spring or early summer called Mary Magdalene. And it, it, um, starred Jacqueline Phoenix that he was in it. And they said that he did everything he could and he was playing Jesus and he, you know, he got, grew the beard. He went off and meditated on the mountain. He did everything for the part except one thing. He would not do this scene. Um, if you read an article about him, he used, he was, he said, I do not understand why Jesus would spit in someone's eye and try to heal them. He said, that's crazy. And so as you get in and understand it, Jesus was doing a couple of things. It was, it was commonly associated that spittle was a uh, antiseptic or some way to help clean the wound. And so, but he spit on the ground and he made clay. And so it, it really is a picture of uh, the creation that man came out, man and woman came out of the earth. And so he was, he was putting that, it was, it was a hearkening back to the creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Even the man who was blind that can now see said, no one since the beginning of time has ever done this. And so he, he realizes that Jesus is saying he's the creator. He created the man. And now he's recreating the man. He's bringing light to that man. And so this this was great. The man now could see for the first time in his life, but Jesus violated some laws, not of God's commandments, but of the Pharisees' commandments. See, the Pharisees, uh, there was the, the commandments that God gave, but then the Pharisees made these laws outside of that that were trying to interpret that. They were called hedge laws. And they were trying to say, um, it would be like if your, your, um, your child was getting near the edge of a cliff. You're like, Okay, don't get near the edge of the cliff or you'll fall off. And, and instead, as a parent, you're like, well, we're going to say don't get within five feet. Don't get within 10 feet of that cliff. If you go over that 10 feet, you violated my rule. That's kind of a bit of what the hedge laws were for the Pharisees. And so they had specifically, as related to the Sabbath, they had different classifications of what is work and what is violation of work. And so they had, 
you know, about making food or gathering grain or uh, construction demolition. And so there's 39 different categories of what that was. And apparently Jesus violated one of those 39 categories. By making clay, he took two uh, different things and brought them together and was creating something, potentially clay for a brick. And so even Jews would not spit on the ground on the Sabbath. They would spit on a tree. They would spit on a rock. They would spit on a wall, but they would not spit. So they would not violate this law that the, that the, the Pharisees made. But Jesus intentionally did it and used that to heal this man. And he was picking a fight. He was picking a fight with these Pharisees. Now, he wasn't looking for the fight. But whenever he saw the Pharisees were watching him, that's, when he, that's why he chose to heal this man in this way. So, um, of course, the, the story goes on. Eventually, the Pharisees excommunicated this guy and sent him out. And it was not just you can't come to the synagogue anymore or you can't, can't come to the temple. They excommunicated him, and they sent him out, which was they, they weaponized the sense of restoration. Because even the church today can excommunicate somebody. But it's not meant to say, get away from us. I don't want to be a part of you anymore. It's meant to be a, 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 a means of restoration. But the Pharisees used this as a weapon. And they were flippant, cavalier about it. And Jesus was going back. If, if, we even, if you remember, we read Ezekiel 34. And Jesus is pronouncing these, or I'm sorry, God is pronouncing these, that the, woe is you, so to speak, to the shepherds of Israel. And he was saying that you have not cared for the sheep. Well, Jesus was seeing that the Pharisees were not caring for the sheep. They were actually consuming the sheep. And so John 10 comes. There was no, remember, there used to be no uh, categories or chapter breaks in the scriptures. Um, but, but as those were made, sometimes it gets lost. So John 10 follows John 9. But it's in this context and that we see John 10 come about. And so what I'm going to do, whenever I learned how to do Bible study, uh, right as soon as I became a Christian, someone taught me how to do Bible study. And we're going to do that, uh, go through those classifications. We're going to make some observations. I'm going to make some interpretations, and then we're going to make an application. What are some applications for you? And so observations are asking, what does the text say? Interpretation is saying, what does the text mean? And then application is, what does it mean to me? So if you want to, if you're taking notes, um, there, there you can have those as your three main categories, skip down the page. So a bit of the observations. If we look at John 10, there's two main parables there. And so the very first parable that Jesus speaks about, he says that there is, um, there's a gatekeeper and that there, uh, the shepherd comes to the gate and calls the sheep out. Now that metaphor is there, there's, there's a, a sheep pen that's in a, in an urban setting. And so maybe there's lots of houses there and everybody pulled their resources together and said, let's have one holding area for all of our sheep at night to protect them. And we'll hire one shepherd to watch them during the night. And so they would, all the townspeople, the village people would bring their sheep into this one holding pen for the night. And then in the morning time, they would come and get them. Think of if you've ever been to the YMCA, the Brace YMCA, and you put your kid in childcare, right? Or child care here, you, you, you actually come to the door, you present your number, and before you can even do that, your kids are, they, they hear your voice and they come running for you, right? They're crawling over that half door. They're trying to get out to, you know, they see their parent. That's the picture here that Jesus is saying 
for this first metaphor. He's saying that there's a holding pen, that there's multiple flocks of sheep. And so you have, how do you sort them out? Well, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, of their particular shepherd, and they come out and follow him. The second metaphor, they didn't, the, the Pharisees, and he's talking to the Pharisees here, they didn't understand that, so he gave, he repurposed that metaphor into a rule um, out in the country kind of holding pen. And so if you're, out, if you're out in the wilderness, out in the country, and you're spending the night out because there's greener pastures and you're far away from home, then what you would do, you'd gather rocks and make a pen. Or maybe you'd take some briars or brambles and put those in a circle. And so here Jesus says, that's, that's the metaphor here. And that he says, I am the door, I'm the gate. He's saying, I actually sleep at the entrance of that circle, that pin here. Okay? So those are some observations there uh, that he's, ta- he's given two metaphors. And so he actually is, I am the gate. And a little bit later on, he says, I am the shepherd in that metaphor. Now, a gate is just a bridge barrier to close or open a space. And that's what he's saying he is. He's, he's a barrier to keep the sheep in or to keep something out here. Um, it's interesting if you look at the word voice, it's used several times just in this passage, three times in these 10 verses, and then it's used later on. So you hear this other sense of hearing and oftentimes the scriptures talk about sight and they say, you have, do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? And do you have a neck that can turn or is it stiff necked? Are you really blind and are your ears really clogged? And so Jesus is alluding to this. Um, and then the last observation is we see that there's a contrast between, between thieves and robbers and the good shepherd. So there's really, a, it says that in that first metaphor that thieves and robbers or bandits would cl- wouldn't go through the door. They try to come in a window. So they don't go through the front door there. It's, it's, think of your, your house alarm that you put, you put alarms on the windows because someone might come in that. Usually thieves don't come and knock on the door, hit your ring, your doorbell there, and say, hey, I, I want to come and get some, uh, price, you know, some goods from your house and take it and steal it. They try to come in some other way. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that I am the arbiter of who sees my sheep and who comes into salvation. And someone else that comes in a different way is a, is a thief or a robber. And we're going to kind of get into that. So that's a little bit of observation. But let's go to interpretation. So I see that there's, there's actually about five things that this, this, this passage says about Jesus. Okay? So under interpretation, you can write out these five things. If you're, again, if you're taking notes. It says that the first one I say is that Jesus is intimate. Jesus is intimate. So I'll give you the five ahead of time if, for all those type A's that want to know where we're going with this. All right? Um, that Jesus is intimate. Jesus is protective. Jesus is attentive. Jesus is exclusive. And he is sacrificial. So he's intimate, protective, attentive, exclusive, and sacrificial. So let's, let's first look at how Jesus is intimate. If you look at verse 3, it says, um, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls them by name. This is interesting. It doesn't mean he just calls them like, hey, over here, sheep. He doesn't even call them pronouns. Hey, get over here. You know, it, come on. It says it calls them by name. A good shepherd would name his sheep. He has that kind of relationship. 
And so we see the intimacy here of Jesus. And don't we like being called by our name? I mean, just earlier I asked, I went in the bathroom, I mean, in the uh, kitchen there, and I asked for a uh, paper towel. And I saw Maisie and Sierra, and I called and said, hey, girls, could I have a paper towel? And I saw how impersonal that was. I said, I'm sorry, let me, I want, uh, for, uh, forgive me, I want to call you by your name. But we see that, too. We would love to hear our name. I remember I had, in, when I was in high school, I was in ROTC, and one of my sergeants told me, he was, we were, I was actually a class on how to do public uh, presenting or, or speech making, and he said, people always love to hear their name. And so if you can repent, remember people's name, and, and sometimes it's manipulative. If you could just tell people their name, they, they, they feel comfortable with you. It's intimate. But Christ is genuinely calling people by name. You're not just a number. Um, very intimate. I mean, even we see in the scriptures that uh, God um, counts people's hair. He knows how much hair you have on your head. I mean, the average human head is 120 square inches, all right? Don't ask me how I know that. I just know that. Some heads are bigger than others, uh, mine included. So um, I come from a long line of large head men. And so uh, I might be more on the 150 square inch side. But the average head has about 100,000 hairs on it. And you lose about 50 to 100 hairs a day. So don't be worried whenever you see it in the, the bottom of the shower. But that's, that's pretty average. But Jesus, it says, keeps up with that. In Matthew, he's numbered the hairs on your head. In another passage, it says, look at the birds of the air. I will feed them. Won't I take care of you? And that passage really, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, came really intimate with me one time. I remember I was at an outdoor coffee um, house, and I was sitting there, and the parking lot's right there, so cars pull up right by you. And I remember this old school Volvo, you know, the kind with the, the grill that's like this big, pulls up. And uh, they, the person parks, goes inside, and then I'm, I'm, I'm studying. I don't know if I was studying that passage, but this passage came to mind, Matthew 6, where it says, look at the birds of the air, I feed them, um, one I feed you. And that, that Volvo was right there, and it had all, the bu all these bugs, just smashed, nasty, and grilled bugs on this grill. And as soon as that, that person got out of their Volvo and walked in, all these birds, these little sparrows, flew down, they knew the deal, and started eating the bugs off the grill of the Volvo. It made me think, wow, God, God thinks, God presents. He, he is very intimate. He knows you by name. He will take care of you. We even see, uh, we, we see that he's very protective. So God, Jesus is intimate, and God is protective. We see this in verse 9, where it says, um, I am the door. Or I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now, he's saying, Jesus is saying, I'm the, I'm the arbiter of what salvation is. We see even later, he says, no one, um, that, that I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So it's, it's very protective. But, if, but you look at verse 9, the, the specifically where it says, they come in. Sheep go in a pen for protection. Because they're, the sheep are their prey. They're not predators, they're prey. And so they have, their only defense mechanism is to clump together. Is they have a herd mentality. So when they get scared, they clump together. That's, that's their only protection because predators are less likely to attack the flock than they are an individual sheep. And so 
But he's saying, I protect my sheep. We even see in verse 28, if you look in this chapter, uh, chapter 10, he says, And I give eternal life to them, speaking of us, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. He's saying, I will protect you. Now, let me be clear about this. This is whenever he protects you inside the pen, it doesn't mean he's going to protect you from harm. Um, it doesn't mean he's going to protect you from pain. It means he will protect you from perishing. This is eternal protection. Okay? Our bodies are wasting away. As I, my prior backstory that I gave you, we are all in varying states of decline. Um, so he says that no one will snatch them from my hand. Um, I, he's protecting us not from bad things, but he's protecting us from eternal damnation. Um, I wanted to read this to you. Uh, it comes from Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot. And she would visit this uh, shepherd in northern Wales. And it was a beautiful place. And they would have um, this, this particular shepherd had this, this flock. And uh, it goes on and says... Um, her friends knew sheep are vulnerable to parasites, parasites which harm them unto death if left untreated. So the shepherd once a year took the sheep, gathered them in his arms, submerged them one by one in a vat of insect killing antiseptic. He would rise, uh, I'm sorry, he, wise and caring, knew that each terrified sheep could not comprehend the why behind their seeming drowning experience. He knew they did not understand, even if he tried to explain. So, from love, the wise shepherd chose to do for each sheep what he knew must be done. One by one, John, who was the, the shepherd, seized the animals, and they would struggle to climb up one side, and Mac, the sheepdog, would snarl and snap at their faces to force them back under. When they tried to climb up the ramp in a panicky way to the far end, John the farmer would catch them and spin them around, and force them under again, holding them, their ears and their eyes and nose submerged for a few seconds. As for their Lord and Master was pushing their head under, drowning them in, as least as far as they could tell, their panicky little eyes would look up over the edge of the vat, and it was easy to see what they were thinking. What is God doing? But ultimately, God will save you from eternal pain, eternal damnation. He does not necessarily, he won't promise there won't be pain. He actually promises there will be suffering in this life, but it is temporary suffering. So do not misunderstand. When God is protective, he does not protect you from pain. He protects you from perishing. The third thing, so God is, Jesus is intimate. God is protective. God is attentive. So verse 9, so it says that he it holds the sheep in the pen, and then they also go out to pasture. Um, so he's attentive to their needs. Um, that means that they go out and are nourished. Um, this even is picked up a little bit later in verse 10. John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the idea here, that he wants to give us abundant life. Now, what does abundant life look like for a sheep? It means that they are eating they're, they're eating well at the pastures. There's still waters for them to drink. That they're without that stress, uh, uh, constantly worried. They're a fat, happy sheep. That's the abundant life for a sheep. We will make application, but that is what he's called to. 
He's calling us to. He's attentive to our needs. Unlike the, sheep, the shepherds that we read in Ezekiel, that they were taking, they were attentive to their own needs. Jesus is attentive to ours. Now, there is interesting, that word out, it says that they go out to pasture. Um, John picks up this word in the Greek, it's ekbolo, uh, ekbolo. And it literally means, there's a couple things it means, but that word is, if you look up in John 9, 34, he said, they answered and said to him, the blind man, you were born entirely in your sins and you were teaching, are you now teaching us? And they put him out. That word out there is the same word, ekbolo. Now it's used one way there in John, what the, what the Pharisees, the wicked Pharisees did to him is that they cast him out of society. That means that he probably couldn't barter and trade. It means that, that he was, he was um, exiled was more of what it meant, more than just he couldn't come to church. But here, it's, it means something else. When he says you go out into pasture, it literally means to draw or bring someone out. So he's leading us out into a better place than we are right now. So he's attentive to the, the needs of the sheep. So Jesus is intimate. He's protective. He's attentive. He's exclusive. Verse 7, when he says, I am the gate, in verse 11, he says that, I can give you abundant life. And he also says, I'm sorry, uh, in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. It's an exclusive claim. It's singular and exclusive. It's not saying I am a way or I am a gate or I am a good shepherd. He's saying I am the good shepherd. That's the whole nature of the I am statements. We're going through seven of them in this, and this is the third of them. But in every one of them, they use the word, the article the in this. It's not a I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. So um, this idea that uh, Jesus is making an exclusive claim, we all make exclusive claims. Even the person that says they don't believe in Jesus or they don't believe in God, that's an exclusive claim. So there is no unexclusive claim. Even if you say, well, there's multiple ways to God, that's an exclusive claim. You're making an absolute statement. Though you're coming across as it's not. But no one comes to the Father through him. So Jesus is making this exclusive claim here. And the last thing is Jesus is sacrificial. Verses 11 and 12 says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf is coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and he scatters the rest of the flock. So Jesus is saying, I lay down my life. Basically, over my dead body, they're going to get to these sheep here. Now, many of you mothers know what the mama bear syndrome is, right? When someone messes with your child, what happens to you? You go crazy, right? You get very protective, right? And so there was actually one such mother in Orange County, uh, California, I don't know if y'all saw this recently, it was on the news. She understood from her daughter, her middle school daughter, that um, some of the other girls in the class were bullying her. And they were, they were excessive. And so she actually, she not only went into the school, to the schoolroom, and, and had a word with those kids in front of the teacher and everybody. And she used some expletives, which I'm not going to quote here. But she said, and, and she even went to the to the uh, extreme of printing out tickets 
And it said, uh, I remember seeing it earlier. I think I have a picture here. Yes, it says a free, I'm going to translate it, not say what she said, but she says free butt kicking um, ticket. You must be 18 or older to redeem this ticket. And so she handed that out and said, give this to your mothers that if you mess with my daughter again, I want to bring your mom here and I'm going to kick her butt. It was an extreme, very creative um, I think she destroyed her, her daughter's middle school career at that point. Um, but she was, she was saying, do this again over my dead body. It was very sacrificial, very, I'm going to lay down my life for my daughter. I love her. Um, and so that is, that is what God's saying here. If we even look in the Old Testament, King David and, um, and Samuel 17, when he's about to go fight Goliath and he's indignant. To what Goliath is saying about his own God. And he, uh, Solomon, I'm sorry, Samuel, not Samuel, sorry, uh, Saul actually confronts him and says, do you really think you can go out and do this? And he says, I know I can because I was a shepherd and bears and lions would come and take, grasp my, my lambs in their mouth and I would go after them and then they would turn on me and I'd grab them by the beard and I killed them. And so David laid down his life for his sheep. Um, and it's interesting, if you look at this, all what's transpiring in John 9 and John 10 is that very passage, is that Jesus is rescuing one of his lambs from the jaws of a predator. Now that was, the jaws of the predator here are the religious establishment. Those who are putting, putting out this blind man who now has a sight He's, he's in the fold now. He's, he's part of God's flock. And Jesus is going and rescuing him from those predators. He is sacrificial. He is exclusive. He's attentive. And he's protective. And he is also intimate. Now, let's get to some application. What is God saying here for you? There, there, there could be many different applications. I'm going to ask you some questions here. First, who is your shepherd? Many of us, I think all of us, or maybe most of us would claim, yeah, Jesus is my shepherd. But is he your shepherd? Um, oftentimes, we are our own shepherd. We Think about what a shepherd does. It leads the sheep. It feeds the sheep. It guides them. Are you leading yourself? Are you guiding yourself exclusively? Have you taken the mantle of being a shepherd of your own life? Um, is it someone else? Do you say to someone else, if I just had that relationship with that person, they would bring happiness in my life. That is giving them the powers of a shepherd. You're looking to someone else to be your shepherd. Or maybe your parents, you're looking to them and saying, if my parents would do this for me, or they're doing this for me, they're my shepherd. In a sense, they are under shepherds, but they're not the shepherd. Or even as an adult, you may be looking back at your parents and say, if they had done this, my life would be different and I would be more happy. You're still giving your parents the mantle of the power of a shepherd if you're looking back that way. But is Jesus your shepherd? Is there anything you need to confess and repent of where you have not made him the good shepherd of your soul? Because there's no one better that's more No one more attentive. No one that will lay down their life for you like him. 
No one is more protective and intimate that calls you by name. So who is your shepherd? Secondly, are you having problems seeing Jesus as the good shepherd because you're going through some kind of pain? Um, by the time you get 30 or 40, maybe sooner, maybe later, but at least by 30 or 40, you're going to have pain. It may be physical, it may be relational. There will be loss. Life in this world, in this side of heaven, equals loss. Um, I, I know that um, if you haven't gone through pain, you will. And I know that seems like doomsday. But it, it, is, it is sure. All the more reason to go to the Good Shepherd. So I know years ago when we were adopting Benaya, and some of y'all know this story. We adopted Benaya from the Congo, and it was just five years ago on the 4th of July that we brought him back. But before that, in the, the, that previous fall, we thought we'd go to the Congo for two weeks, pick him up, and bring him back. And, of course, man plans his way, but God directs his step. And we ended up staying there five weeks and not being able to bring him back. And I remember when Stacy and I were sitting on the, the plane back home, the 747, and we looked over right beside us, and we were, we were weeping in, in our seats. And we looked over and we saw a, a couple from uh, Italy, and they had three kids that they were bringing back with them. And there was, we found out later it was part of a greater geopolitical thing against Americans that was happening of why my son was being kidnapped. Um, but I remember those five weeks God had us there because Stacy and I were wrestling. Is our good shepherd really good? And is our good shepherd really powerful? And we were on different sides of that. And it took us about five weeks to come to our good shepherd is good and he is powerful. And so pain, when you get hit with a blast of pain, what comes out of you? That will, that will bring you to understand where are you in this process of seeing that God is really good and powerful. Again, I want to read this from another passage from Elizabeth Elliot. And, and Elizabeth, I don't know if you know about her, but she lost two husbands. They both died. She said, I have had some experience in my life which made me feel very sympathetic to those poor sheep. There are times I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment I was getting from my good shepherd, whom I trusted. And like these sheep, I didn't have a hint of an explanation. There will be no intellectual satisfaction on this side of heaven to the age-old question, why? But although I have not found intellectual satisfaction, I have found peace. And the answer I say to you is not an explanation, but a person. Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. It is he who was the word before the foundation of the world, suffering as a lamb slain. And he has a lot up his sleeve that you and I haven't the slightest idea about now. He told us enough so that we know that suffering is not for nothing. And so if you're having problems right now and you're paying, know that suffering is not for nothing. He's teaching you to rely more on the good shepherd and less on you as the sheep. 
The last application question I have. Are you asking for more good shepherds for the sheep? Matthew 9, 36-38 says that, it says that Jesus is walking through the villages and healing diseases with his, with his disciples. He's going through the villages there. And he says, and he looked at the people and he was moved with compassion. For they looked like sheep without a shepherd. And he looked to his disciples and he said, because of this reality, pray to the, the God of the harvest that he may send more workers or more shepherds to the flock. So are you praying? Are you praying for the pastors of this church? Are you praying for the elders? Are you praying for your life group leader? Are you praying for the Sunday school teachers? Are you praying for the, the more good shepherds to be sent out to this world that they would be good and not hucksters? They would be um, sacrificial shepherds, not bandits. And so... These are some application questions I'll leave with you. Um, bow your head in prayer. God, thank you for this opportunity, Lord Jesus, to um, share a bit about.